Welcome to the show. Welcome to Radical Strategies. My new friend, Mike, we met, what, two days ago? Something like this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Happy birthday, Kate. Yeah. And um, so we met and we immediately jumped into these conversations about Web3, um, NFTs, all this stuff. And I thought um, it'd be perfect for us just to have our second conversation, not in person either. So welcome. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Nice to connect with you again. So welcome, Mike. Um, Um, Maybe you can give us a bit of a rundown of who you are, where you come from. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, born in Canada, born in Ottawa, uh, moved to Vancouver halfway through this life. And uh, I've always been really into music and, and computers, I guess. You know, I was one of these kids. Uh, spending all hours of the day and, and night and morning, like just we were there as, as, as computers were leveling up, I guess, the internet, explosion of the internet, explosion of like mm-hmm. gaming consoles and just like playing around with all this stuff. Uh, and so writing like MIDI sequences. And, and so for me, it was always like finding new ways to mess with music or mess with art media effectively. Um have a background in music. I studied studied music and uh, philosophy, and then moved to Vancouver, where I met uh, all sorts of wonderful people, including uh, a musician named Devin Townsend. Uh, we worked very closely. Uh, we still work, still uh, collaborating in different ways. Mm. Um, but for, I mean, the better part of ten years or more, um, just really cutting my teeth in the music industry as as a tech, as a, like a studio engineer ish, as a tech uh, tour manager at one point and then lighting and video design and then back to playing in a band uh, at one point doing kind of all of those things at the same time or lighting video, touring, uh, playing. And then, uh, and that just kind of kept growing into doing more gigs as, as lighting and video design and, and automation programming and uh, two years ago, in the middle of a tour, uh, this global pandemic caught up with all of us, and I, I ended up at home. Uh, and, and that's when I, like, having already known about uh, crypto, particularly since the whole uh, 2017 roller coaster, mm-hmm. um, but I was, I was looking at, you know, what do we do now? How long is this pandemic thing going to last? Like, what is the future of music, uh, music performance? Um, and uh, I guess mid 2020 came across uh, this new idea with with crypto assets called non fungible tokens, and that I found really interesting. And that for me was like the hook into the broader, like really understanding from a cultural perspective what Web three and blockchain and crypto could do. And uh, so I went down a rabbit hole then and started experimenting in the space as a I like to say music forward uh, uh, tech experimenter. Mm. Um, it's all these buzzwords like Web3, blockchain, crypto, NFTs, trying to avoid them in, in describing uh, <laughs> you know, what's going on. But you could use all those terms. Um, and then I found myself, I just went like really deep into it. I have a bit of a coding background so I can understand what's making this interesting and what's mm-hmm. making some of these projects work and, and not, and how some of these projects are maybe being sold as things that they aren't. And so I, I just really like looking at all of the different facets of what was going on and found myself 
maybe uh, as knowledgeable as some other people in the space enough so to find myself helping to strategize and advise um, people who were looking to get involved in the space. Um, and now here I find myself a year later, uh, kind of strategizing and advising in the space, still really loving exploring. I'm, I'm really bullish, we'll say, on, on music NFTs. Mm -hmm. uh, and so for me, it's it, that's the, the really exciting thing happening right now is music forward uh, artists in the crypto space, Web3 space, really playing with all facets of like royalties and, and generative music and everlasting projects. Um, yeah. And, and so any, anything for a good conversation around, around, uh, creativity, artistic expression and technology, uh, I'm here for it. I'd love to unpack a little bit more and to get you to audit a bit, the whole space of NFTs intersecting music. If you could mm. just give us an overview of what's happening out there, that'd be great. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So at least we're being specific to music because I, mm -hmm. I love these conversations about like, let's talk about web three. And it's like, that's kind of like saying let's, you know, it's 1997 and, and we're like trying to figure out the internet or something. Right. It's like, yeah. well, um, but yeah, music. Um, I think one of the first things that I saw happen was um, Blau, the EDM producer did a, um, there was the big explosion around NFTs in the fall of 2020, and mm -hmm. it was primarily a visual uh, phenomenon, right? Because this was digitally native visual artists never really had a way to prove that this was the mm -hmm. original version, right? There was no canvas to put it on uh, for people to hold it and say, this is the one. And so when NFTs came along, I understand why that was such a big shift and a, a really exciting thing in the space. And as a musician, I remember sitting there going like, hmm, this is kind of, this kind of has been a problem since Napster for musicians. But the way that it happened was music had had this big heyday around uh, physical product. And then th this digital commodification of it really had it lose a lot of its, I want to say value in a sense, or the way that Spotify came along and it's this like hurry up and make more and, and more bite-sized content and all this stuff. Music um, has been like kind of, I don't know, I kind of want to say doing this in terms of its mm -hmm. perceived value. Whereas digitally native visual art, almost like maybe never had the opportunity to be productized. And so when NFTs came along, there was this huge excitement and people being like, let's uh, <laughs> throwing their money at let's support these artists. Mm -hmm. um, but it was very visual. And, and there's, a, I think, a couple of reasons for that. And so musicians were sitting around thinking like, well, how can this benefit the music uh, ecosystem? I think one of, and so there was Nifty Gateway was one of the big platforms doing really well, uh, really uh, putting artists up on a pedestal and, and having a lot of success for them. And I do think that Blau was one of the first artists to come along and put music on the blockchain and have a token, you know, attached to it and, and have people collect it and get really excited about it. I'm sure he was not the first because probably this was done uh, earlier with some projects that I can't think of right now. Um, um, but he was, he was pretty well there, particularly the first um, like very notable uh, creator. And so he, he had a lot of success. And I remember thinking, oh, this is really interesting. People are clamoring to collect a token of a song 
that is otherwise out there for anyone to listen to. Um, and there's a really interesting kind of conversation around value there. Um, importantly, those NFTs where you, you write a song and you take the music format, whether it's a WAV file or an MP3, you store it in a decentralized clo uh, cloud storage way, and then you point at it with an NFT and like, mm -hmm. there's your value proposition is this, I am, I am the owner on this thing that's pointing at this song that there is only one of, and we're all agreeing that there's, there's value there. Um, and that's interesting. It's one way of doing things. And I do think if nothing else, why wouldn't artists put their catalog up on the, on, on this decentralized storage and point at it with this uh, permanent token that is decentralized, that is, you know, not going to get taken down by Spotify or by CD Baby, et cetera. Oh. I think there's some really interesting conversations to have there. And then and then the whole sort of trading and, and marketplace ecosystem that can come out of that is also really interesting. Um, what I think is also very interesting is that NFTs, uh, blockchains are code. And so you can program things into these tokens uh, and you see uh, BT, uh, another prominent artist in, mm -hmm. in the traditional space, come along and I don't think he was the first, but certainly, again, did very successfully did a drop on a platform called Super Rare, where he worked with the team and created this whole audiovisual generative project that was that it, they deployed it all to this decentralized cloud storage and they pointed to it with an NFT. But now the owner of that, uh, well, rather anyone who visits that uh, URL, that CID, um, arrives at this website that for the rest of time, for the rest of the internet, um, will function in this way that it is generating an audiovisual experience uh, of BT's music, or you could say curated by BT. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is a really interesting um, conversation around an artist can come along and they're not just writing a song that is going to play over and over and over again, which is interesting in, in, in some way, but they're creating a, a they're creating a ever evolving moment or, you know, curating a sort of sonic moment or even audiovisual moment in time that will exist again, ostensibly forever. Um, but will continue to evolve. And, and so you have this always different, but always trace back to the artist's kind of output. And I think there's something really interesting about that. Uh, we've seen some other projects come along that are trying to actually put the music into the NFT. So in your token, there's, there's space to add a little bit of extra code. And they're saying, mm -hmm. you know, hey, uh, NFT reader, check out this piece of code and uh, interpret it as MIDI and play it back as, as like a song. Mm -hmm. And so there's um, uh, beat foundry is, is a group that has done that. And they've done some pretty interesting things. Um, they're, they're now coming out with different curations, different styles, which is cool. Um, their first one was stylized after the legend of Zelda kind of vibe. And, and mm -hmm. it's really great. Um, and then there's also, Oh, who's the other one? Just skipped my mind. Uh, Arpeggi Labs, A R P E G G I dot I O, Arpeggio, Arpeggi Labs. Uh, mm. They've come up with their own proprietary way of packing not only a MIDI 
kind of uh, writing style, but uh, rather code language, but also of compressing audio samples down so that you can mm. store like the entire kick, snare, hat, ride cymbal, uh, synth bass and harmony and melody samples and the song form and the melody and everything into the NFT so that when you load that into like OpenSea, for example, or any um, browser that's been prepared appropriately, it'll just play the song right off of the NFT. So nothing is mm. stored anywhere else, as far as I know, other than in the NFT itself. And that's actually really again really powerful um it doesn't aesthetically sound great to my ears mm -hmm. but what i think is really exciting about it is it reminds me of uh the earliest video game was like pong mm -hmm. and you can imagine when pong came out and it's just two paddles and a ball like someone now would be like well that's not really that cool but but when that first happened, you're like, wow, this is insane. You've got, yeah. you know, you maybe you've got some AI playing Pong or I can play Pong against someone else. And this had never been done before. And I think we're very much at that stage still with a lot of what's happening in music NFTs. You also see, um, and, and feel free to cut me off at any point. But you also see the financial mechanics, some interesting things mm -hmm. happening there. You see uh, royalty splits. So Blau with his company Royal are doing royalty splits where you buy, you know, one of 300 NFTs representing a song, and you will get uh, one three hundredth of, I think, fifty percent of the royalties off of that song in perpetuity, and theoretically delivered right into your wallet. And so here we've just cut out all sorts of middlemen uh, and women in that mm. process. Uh, there's an interesting mechanic uh, around they call bonding curves, which is, um, and there's a so Euler Beats did this first, E U L E R. Uh, where they they had 27 master songs and the songs were pretty um, blippy bloopy sounding based around uh, I believe some algorithm of a mathematician named Euler um, and so there's 27 masters that can be purchased and whoever owns the master there is an infinite amount of copies that can be purchased and the first copy let's say is a penny and the second copy is two pennies and the third copy is four pennies. And so with every purchase, uh, the price goes up. I'm not going to, uh, let's say by 10%. Um, and the owner of the master gets 10% of the total paid. And anyone at any time can sell back to this pool uh, and that reduces the price. So, so I'm, I'm being really bad with my explanation here, but when a copy is purchased, 90% of that gets locked in a contract to create mm. a liquidity pool. And then the price goes up. And as it gets bought and bought and bought, uh, anyone who bought previously can sell for 10% less than the highest price. And they're selling it back to that liquidity pool. So that liquidity is there and you're creating effectively like Uniswap, like an automated market um, hmm. off of an NFT. And so that's kind of exciting for the idea of music because you can imagine a huge artist or even a smaller artist releasing a song and on a, on a low gas uh, protocol uh, and maybe it's like a penny and it goes up by 10, 10% each time and people now are really excited to buy the first copy of it because, or maybe it's a dollar, maybe it's $10, but they want to be the first to buy it because they know that the earlier you get in, the more upside there is. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, it really, uh, it, it really motivates the keeners to get involved. Um, but also one of the challenges with NFTs, and I'm, I think we're seeing it a lot with music NFTs is there's not a lot of secondary market activity happening. People are, mm. people recognize when they buy an NFT, particularly a music one, they may just end up holding it, which mm. certainly you'd think a lot of people would be happy to keep the art that they buy but the reality is a lot of people are buying this to sort of like speculate on on the uh, roller coaster of the market yeah um there was one more i was going to mention is royalties there's bonding curves uh fractional ownership i guess um oh uh sound sound.xyz uh came out pretty recently and they have consistently every day for like two months now released a song by an artist different song by a different artist Mm-hmm. And they're issuing uh, 25, uh, sometimes more. With Snoop Dogg, I think they did a thousand copies, and, and there was a mix recently. They did 100 NFTs, but usually it's around 25 NFTs at 0.1 ETH each. And every collector uh, is able to click on the timeline. It kind of looks like SoundCloud, and you can click and leave a comment, and that's stored on chain. And as far as I know, and um, and so it's kind of like SoundCloud, but you can only comment if you've collected the NFT. And if you sell mm-hmm. the NFT, the next person to collect it, I believe, can go and change that comment or put the comment somewhere else. They also have a mechanism around one of the 25 NFTs is an Easter egg. And, and so it's like the, the rarest one and the artist can then choose what they want to uh, deliver to that collector for, for having won the rare one, I guess. Um, and they have yeah like every day for over two months now sold out within seconds and it's showing that there's a lot of interest in that kind of uh collector uh experience around music nfts right now and they're seeing a lot of secondary market action right now which is really interesting um so if if we compare to the release of digital visual art um if we look in particular at one of ones and we see the collectability of those. Um, maybe they're being made by known artists. And then we can also look at the release of editions. Like uh, the first NFT I bought was a Ruben Wu uh, digital photograph or manipulated photograph as he does. And it was an edition mm-hmm. of 100 that I got. Um, so it was maybe more than <laughs> a price point that I could uh, afford. Um, and we can see that people are m- making uh, visuals that are native to the medium, right? They're not necessarily mm-hmm. coming in and taking something that exists and then adapting it. You may have that with photographers, but it, when you look at digital artists, they're making art that's native to the premise of being an NFT collectible of some type, right? So how would you take those elements that I just listed off and see how they would compare into music and audio, notably one of ones or editions, like a song, there's a certain number of items that are released. Um, Maybe if you think back to a rare 45 that some some, uh, band made, you know, that's hard to get. Mm -hmm. Or if you think of someone being able to buy a master recording with the original. I'm curious how you take these elements that I'm mentioning here and transpose those to what's happening now. With with visual NFTs, I mean, sometimes it's literally the exact same picture, but there's a bronze one and a silver one mm-hmm. and a gold one. 
and there will only be one gold one and then there will be 10 silver and there'll be 100 bronze yeah and and pack an artist pak uh notoriously famously um exemplified this by releasing the exact same it was actually one piece of media that was stored mm -hmm. on ipfs and there was like five different nfts that all pointed to the same media but this nft there was only one and it was called like the rare one and then this nft there was a hundred of them and it was called the common one and then there was one called like the holder and one called the flipper and they were all pointing to the same art and hmm. so he was uh, same media and so he was really begging the question like what where is the value here is the value in the art or is the value in the token mm -hmm. um and so to to play that forward a little bit into how are we seeing this with music i mean i don't music has almost got stuck in this trap of devaluation that we've seen through spotify and this like fast music era that we're in mm -hmm. where um people are demanding like utility people are demanding royalties people are demanding things of music nfts that they don't ask of uh like pure art as it were visual nfts i do think that the ecosystem is still figuring that out and collectors are still figuring that out as well but you've reminded me of an interesting point that i don't think we've seen yet which mm -hmm. is what happens if i release the same song and i have a one of one and i have a 10 of 10 and then i have a hundred maybe i have it in an open edition but they're all pointing to not only they're not pointing to three different versions they're literally pointing to the same file but if you want to have the unique token of that file then you got to you know buy the auction one and if you want to have uh you know as, as you say there's uh easier entry levels lower entry points maybe you buy the one that there's 10 of these but mm -hmm. Should it matter if they're all pointing at the exact same uh, music file or not? And uh, it's been proven already in the visual space that it shouldn't matter, interestingly. Um, but I, there's also an interesting problem or an interesting conversation where musicians really just want as many people to hear their music as possible. It's mm -hmm. like the monetary, and I mean, I, I feel like arguably every artist is like this. Um, the, the second priority is at, at most, the second priority is financial, uh, stability, et cetera. The first priority is for people to experience what you're doing yeah. and to hopefully appreciate it, commiserate over it, um, that kind of thing. And it's an interesting yeah. conversation around, you know, would you be as, um, would you be as fulfilled as an artist if only one person saw this work, mm -hmm. but you made a, you know, a lifetime of income off of it. Yeah. Um, and, and also there's an interesting thing happening with music NFTs in particular, where some artists now are having tremendous financial success, but they have zero plays on Spotify and, and would really struggle to sell out a hundred capacity venue kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so there's an interesting conversation there around, like you know what is what is going on here ultimately yeah that, that's um, really interesting if you look at the base premise of a traditional fine artist right and they make a one of one painting uh, it's in their interest to have that be incredibly limited edition in that it's one of one 
maybe there's mm. there's high quality prints done that are also very expensive that might be signed um if they're still alive um but it's in their interest to be focusing on ultra limited editions whereas mm. if you look at the traditional recording artists it's the opposite they want to be a participant in mass popular culture to have mm-hmm. a hit right and to mm-hmm. have a huge fan base and uh, uh something being limited edition in that space seems at cross purposes to what they need to have happen which is to be yeah. popular <laughs> exactly to have people sing along at the concerts yeah. right to be yeah. cuz music sort of comes down to campfires i think right sitting mm-hmm. sitting we're all sitting around like the fire uh and we're all connecting over this uh sonic architecture as it were yeah. whereas uh, the visual artist statement seems to be more like I was here, right? Like the yeah. the hand print on the wall. Um, yeah. It's this it's this statement of a single moment in time rather than a repeating moment in time. It's and also there's, there's something. It's also inclusive versus mm-hmm. exclusive. Right. Yeah. Again, opposites. One is speaks more of the upper echelons of society, the one percentiles who collect art in that world. And then the other one is mass culture, where one can be a participant as a fan of a band, recording artist. Um, So it's interesting seeing those uh, transposed now into this world of NFT authentication and these whole new paradigms for collecting and relationships between artists and collectors or fans, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they don't line up necessarily in the same way, right? No, I, I think you're right. Um, yeah. And talking that through a little bit more, I'm thinking of, as you say, uh, a, a visual artist's piece will be very expensive, I guess, because mm-hmm. there's only one. And maybe yeah. everyone can see it, but there's only one. Whereas musicians, you could they, you could always make more albums than they would, and they would just sell as many albums as they could for ten or twenty dollars each. Um, and but in in the NFT space, if you said there will be as many NFTs as people want, like you're buying this to collect it, you're not buying this to sell it at a higher price. Mm-hmm. Um, I you might argue that no one would buy it, and <laughs> and so it, you know right, it begs the question really what is everybody in this space for um and also i think we're going to see one of my we'll say predictions is we're going to see a real settling of of prices and expectations right now particularly right now there's like so much um fervor around tulip mania right this new this new Mm -hmm. paradigm that everyone's not quite understanding we're all just always see money flying everywhere just buy it all and and so particularly people who understand the space know the the upper ends of that threshold of what they can charge if they get enough hype around something. But what's going to happen in five or 10 years when the NFT format is as boring as an MP4 or an email to people, mm-hmm. um, will it, you know, how will that affect the the perceived value? I think there's going to be some interesting adjustments there. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Another lens that you could look at this whole world through is that of brand and brand value. And one could argue that CryptoPunks and Board Ape Yacht Club are new digital first brands that have different types of collectibles. I think in the case of Board Apes, you have 
uh, real life experiences as well that they're offering. It's beyond a JPEG of an ape. It's much more than that. And um, so th- there's, th- I think that there's different lenses that you can, you can look at these trends and these happenings and these new paradigms and, and trying to understand some deeper uh, movements that are occurring. Oh, for sure. Um, part, and, and community, I think when you say a lot of those, of those points comes to mind is really what in hindsight, the, the single most driving factor behind the board API club was community. Mm-hmm. And I remember not buying this project and watching it just climb and climb and climb. And every mm-hmm. time I would hear people speak of it and, and like the next time that people were getting excited about it, it was because uh, either they had done something for the community or someone within the community or even a group within the community had done something to contribute value back. And it was things like uh, derivative works because they were giving uh, ownership to the, the they're giving IP freedom to the owners of the NFTs. So then the owners of the NFTs would go off and do like a run of t-shirts or some mm-hmm. kind of cartoon derivative or putting them in, in interesting places. And, and so you get the meme uh, explosion. Uh, you had people offering just other things around it. And then as they also um, listened to the community and I think really delivered value based on what the community was wanting, the whole thing just took on this, this life of its own. Yeah. And, and uh, obviously was very successful. Let's just look at this PFP business because mm-hmm. I just see so many clones happening left, right, and center with mm-hmm. no imagination at all. Just copycat. It's like there's a factory copycat station that just takes something and changes one or two things. And then the next PFP project is coming out. 10,000 yeah. of this, 10,000 of that. Um, yeah. What's your take on all of this is it just a mass hysteria and and people with no creativity just jumping on a coattails or what's going on here yeah i i think that you're you're on on point with that that it's Mm. it's it's this idea that it's it's new enough and enough people don't understand it and they're getting very excited about the the money that they're seeing their friends make etc um i i do think to be charitable to it there's a a community of of communities of of people just moving from one project to another they mm. like getting into these forums discord servers and participating and helping people learn and and getting the alpha and getting on the allow lists and then getting to mint and their reward is they get it first and they can either hold it or sell it etc um but I would say I would challenge anyone who you know to to suggest that they don't just unload it and move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. And so the big challenge here is going to be what happens when people or if people get kind of um, uh, tired of of this race. And the big question is which of these projects are going to have built fundamental enough communities to really uh, continue. A further question is, does anybody care? Um, right. But I do, I, I joke a lot with friends lately about it. it. This actually seems more and more like it's a really efficient way to just draw all of this um, disposable income out of these digital 
uh, folks to give it to some opportunists. Mm. Um, and, and then I don't know what's going to be left after that. Uh, I'm a bit concerned that in a year's time, people might be a little sour to the whole thing mm. and it may really slow down some of the positive, uh, development that's happening in the space. Like I, I think that if these projects were all a dollar instead of a thousand dollars, uh, that, that would be a really interesting experiment to see happen, you know, make this affordable and like CryptoPunks and like Bored Apes even um, make it necessary that the community builds value or the team builds value in order for the price to go up rather mm -hmm. than just having these things cost $2,000 out of the gate. Uh, now the team doesn't care what happens next because they've just delivered like $20 million to themselves or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and arguably it will be impossible to keep up uh, with that expectation because, you know, for you or for me as a collector of something, what kind of expectations am I going to have if I paid $2,000 for it? I think that's, you know, an important question people need to ask themselves. And if they really are just buying it to flip it, um, that's where I just don't find that to be a valuable use of my time. I would rather build something hopefully more meaningful. I've got a lot of friends that are musicians. They're hearing these words, NFT this, NFT that. A lot of people are coming at them saying, you got to do NFTs. Um, I'm curious what advice you would have for these people. Let's say they're people that are professional musicians. They have bands, they're recording artists. What would you say to them they should do? Just keep going and not bothered getting swept away with the hype or which direction should they go in? Depends. It depends what their threshold for uh, conversation with their community is. There's mm -hmm. a lot of pushback. There's a lot of animosity, a lot of hot takes as to what NFTs are as though they can only be this one thing, which is bad for the environment, uh, Ponzi schemes, you know, grifting, mm -hmm. there's no value, blah, blah, blah. You can find examples in pretty well any ecosystem of Ponzi schemes, of grifters, of opportunists, of money, you know, money laundering, criminals, um, mm -hmm. all of these examples that are being thrown around, of course they exist. This is, this is a new technology. Uh, this is a, 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 a new moment in, in a digital era. It's, it's obviously very unregulated. The, the law has yet to catch up. Um, and so you're gonna see all sorts of craziness happening. But to, to suggest that that is what defines this, I think is, is very uh, single-minded. And I'm not sure why people would require that that be the sole definition for what's happening here. Um, mm. Because again, when you, look at, when you look at what can be done here, there are some really exciting and interesting things that can be done. Like mm -hmm. suggesting that we should continue working on the platforms that have uh, required us play by their rules um, in order to continue to deliver artistic output to the world, I think is is quite short-sighted, um, particularly for, well, particularly for an artist, but also for their community to say, how dare you try this new, interesting, open source horizon of, of coded art mm -hmm. that, that gives you a more direct, I would argue, um, uh, relationship with your community to not trust your to not trust an artist that you 
you know, uh, have trusted so far to date to experiment in a space, even if you don't participate financially, um, I think says something about the, the communities that support these artists, um, for one thing. Um, so to musicians, I would say, be prepared to have some tough conversations with yourself and with your collectors mm -hmm. or with your fans. Um, but I, I do think that there are some variables that can be tweaked to make it very difficult to suggest that, that a, a project within this space is anything but attempting to be positive. And so those variables are doing it on a environmentally friendly blockchain. You can get rid of that part of the conversation. And anyone who says that all blockchains are bad for the environment just doesn't know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, uh, like literally hasn't done the research. Um, you can give away your NFTs for free and you can build into that system a royalty so that you can still uh, experience some kind of revenue on the long tail of this. But if you give away uh, NFTs to your community, digital collectibles to your community, it's hard for them to say that you're grifting them. Mm -hmm. um, if they, if and and if you give them away in a in a in a manner that requires them to show up and like you know type on their keyboard at four o'clock in the morning to be at the front of the line and, and acquire this, if they don't want to do that, well, I mean they're the, they're not going to get concert tickets either. They're not gonna they're gonna be at the back of the line at your show. So like this is not your fan base, um, and it's again quite nearsighted of fans i don't love the word fans but an artist's community to be angry over this new way of doing things that is actually pretty similar to the way things have always been done before it's just again decentralized and, and open source mm -hmm. um so you can you know distributing your nfts on a environmentally friendly blockchain for free you know delivering value uh, and, and delivering content and, and having a way to connect with your community now in a way that is uh, decoupled from Facebook and YouTube and Instagram and all of these um, centralized platforms, I think is, is really interesting. Also, if you know any friends who can code, the, the opportunities for creative exploration around generative music creating like i was describing earlier some sort of environments around your style of music um releasing your stems uh i mean even delivering royalties if you want there's a lot of really interesting things happening in the space so for any musician who likes technology it's mm -hmm. i mean name a more exciting thing happening in music and tech right now i'm not sure there is it's pretty exciting definitely yeah some types of artists really should jump in and uh, see what can be made. In my mind, one great opportunity will be looking at new art forms that combine music, maybe visual, or maybe it's just music, uh, that's native to the format, but also hopefully still high fidelity, not lo-fi, you know, not crunched inside a uh, blockchain tech, but still is... Uh, you know, high-end music, but we'll yeah, see what happens. I, I think you're right there that there's, we're in an interesting finding our feet phase mm -hmm. and not everything that comes out of the first 18 months is going to be solid gold. Um, but it is really interesting to consider 
how the medium is going to inform the art mm-hmm. as much as how you know art affects the medium sometimes. So yeah, I think you're spot on with that. Well, thank you for the conversation. Um, so if anyone wants to find out more about you and your thoughts and your expertise, uh, where can they look? Um, so Mike St. Jean, M-I-K-E-S-T-J-E-A-N on Twitter, I think is where a lot of this conversation is happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, Instagram, if you like pictures of things, uh, also .com uh, for a website that I haven't updated in a long time. And um, just around the metaverse, we'll say, I, I'm always up for a good conversation, particularly around music, but also around anything Web3 or, I mean, human at the end of the day, uh, just good conversation. So yeah, I'm, I'm always around to chat. Fantastic. I always ask our guests on Radical Strategies one outgoing question, and that is, what is your radical strategy of the day? What's your final piece of advice for us? Today, my radical strategy was rest. (laughs) I still had a very busy day, um, but I really gave myself permission to take some moments between uh, activities to just, you know, appreciate mindfulness, appreciate the interesting weather outside, actually. Mm. Um, And so uh, my radical strategy for today is actually allowing yourself the... um, the humanity of, of not being like full on all the time, but appreciating a little bit of silence. Yeah. 